The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, everybody. My name is Liz, and this is Chris. And um, we're very happy you're joining us for the second month of the Eightfold Path program. So last month we got a little bit of a start with right view, just kind of framing our perspective on what are we doing? Why do we come to meditation practice? And noticing that by getting acquainted with the Four Noble Truths, you know, suffering or stress, what's causing it, the fact that it can come to an end, and the Eightfold Path as a tool for helping it come to an end. By having that basic perspective, and also by noticing cause and effect, actions of mind, of speech, and of body that have consequences that either lead us towards suffering or lead us towards freedom. By starting out with just that basic understanding of why we're practicing, it kind of leads us right into right intention. Because this, these states of mind or the movement of mind, it starts in the mind uh, that sets our actions in motion. It sets our speech in motion. That whatever is present in our mind is either leading us towards freedom or leading us back into more suffering so that we're you know, continuing to spin. So this month, that study of those states of mind is called Right Intention. So we get a chance to hang out with Right Intention and also Wrong Intention and how we're suffering. So um, that's what we'll be doing today. We've got some meditations and some uh, discussions in small groups and hopefully lots of different ways for you to enter this subject of intention, how your intention affects whether you're headed towards freedom or headed towards more suffering. Thank you. So let's start with a meditation. So it's actually very good to begin a session of meditation by finding some clarity about your intention for this session. If you just plop down on the cushion, your mind tends to just fall into its habits. So just take a moment. Bring up your best understanding of mindfulness, that we're just going to know what's happening as it's happening in the mind and the body maybe using the breath as an anchor or something else if you work with something else mainly. It's a time to heighten awareness of what's going on. Not to figure it out and think about it, but just directly staying in touch with knowing what's happening as it happens. So right now you might just be aware of whatever you feel in the breath. Just pick it up right where it is. Knowing whether you're feeling that expanding and stretching of the in-breath 
the relaxing, letting go of the out-breath. And then we'll also have in the back of our mind the three qualities that the Buddha called out as the essence of right intention, which is letting go, kindness or friendliness, goodwill, or compassion. So we don't necessarily need to do anything about those actively, we'll just stay with the breath. But as thoughts come to mind, or as particular body sensation comes to mind, just call up that intention of letting it be, let it go, non-clinging, just seeing it for just what it is and not jumping into getting involved with it. During meditation, we just let it go and come back to a simple settling and just knowing now what's happening. So see if you can notice if there's a sense of clinging or holding on tight to the breath. And see if you can just bring an overall relaxed attitude. Just letting the breath come to you, letting it arise as it does naturally and fall. You're like you're sitting back in your easy chair with the windows open. Just letting the waves of the breath be known. But with a sort of clarity and presence that doesn't incline you to fall asleep or space out kind of interest in seeing what's happening. Over and over we just make this simple gesture of letting go of something that wants to capture our attention and take it away from being able to be there for the next thing that happens. Just let it go and return to a simple awareness of this flow of breath and bodily experience. And with an attitude in the heart of basic friendliness toward experience. Every little twinge or itch or ache has its moment to just be there and be met. 
And we just let it exist for a second with an attitude of friendliness, non-contention. It doesn't have to not exist. It can be there and be known. field of awareness can be very inclusive. We're always breathing. Sometimes something else strongly comes into awareness. We don't need to grasp at it and try to figure it out or make something of it. Just the simplest possible awareness that some sensation, some thought, some little movement connected with the breath. Let it arise, let it pass. Sometimes there may be an area of discomfort or a very busy mind that does not settle. It's very useful then to notice if you're falling into self-criticism or frustration. Just bringing an attitude of compassion to yourself. It's not easy. The mind and body are the way they are at this moment. Just the understanding that this too is part of the way things have come to be. And they will change and move on. And in this moment, right now, it's like this. It's a kind of tenderness and intimacy with our own experience. If it was easy to make it just the way we want, we'd be able to but it isn't.
that we can bring this light of awareness and this basic kindness and this basic compassion, basic acceptance. It's just like this. And then the next moment, it's just like this. So we're not struggling with our experience. Just getting to know it. And just keeping it very simple. Coming back to a sense of ease and spaciousness with the breath. It's the whole body sitting here. Maybe the mind is settling, maybe it isn't. But something is knowing what's going on. And that knowing is happening. And that's really all it takes to begin to let this tangle of our minds and bodies unwind and come to a state of balance and clarity. Letting things be known. Just resting in the knowing and the awareness. The intention to let things arise and pass in whatever way they naturally do. sometimes be long, sometimes short.
Sometimes there's a long pause at the end of the out-breath. Gathering up the next in-breath. All this can just happen by itself. Be known. We don't have to make breathing happen, we just let it be as it is. Releasing the seduction, seduction and pull of thinking and figuring out and controlling. Allowing the mind and the heart, the body to deeply settle. Everything can just be known, even agitation, even frustration, settling, not settling. Just right now it's like this, and it's being known, and it's being met with the part of kindness to let it be. the bell, you can have the intention to just let the sound come to you, stay connected to hearing as the sound lasts, and then maybe just take a moment to feel into how you're feeling right now.
and be there and be aware if it changes as we move on to the next part of the program. See if you can stay in touch with your internal weather. Well, let's begin our study of right intention, wise intention. (coughs) I'll talk a little bit about intention in general, working with intention, and the first of the three wise intentions that the Buddha calls out, the intention of letting go. So Liz gave a nice introduction to how right view leads into right intention. I also find it interesting that it works the other way. We usually wake up, we're in the middle of some kind of difficulty, and then we call to mind, well, how can I bring the path to bear on this? So we're sort of looking back from some incident of unwise speech or action and trying to look into what was our intention there. And then if we can find our intention, then behind that is kind of implied what views and beliefs might have motivated that. So really all these factors are always working together and any one of them is a doorway into the whole chain of effect between uh, views and intention and thoughts and action. This word that we're calling intention, if you're doing the readings, you'll see that in some books they call it thought and it's also translated as resolve in other books. So this whole business of translating these words is a little, you know, bit of a work in progress in English. I kind of like intention. It's the most neutral. But it also, I also love that there's thought, speech, and action and how they come together. So this is a way of recognizing that intention often appears in the form of thought. And what we give our attention to is a chain of thought around planning what we're going to do or figuring out what we're going to do. And uh, so it's, in a sense, it's that meaning. It really covers a whole range of meaning from your basic motivation, you know, in, in maybe a big project that you're doing or your, how your attitude in life manifests in your overall, you know, are you always going into a situation believing that you need to be defensive somehow or are you going into a situation, every situation, 
with the idea that you're going to get something out of it and some of those things and then it's down to a very specific little movement of mind that actually prompts some particular action I think several of you have mentioned when we're in the talking circles here how what it's like to feel that little urge to say something but it's not your turn you know so that's a little moment of intention to speak coming up so that whole range from your biggest motivation to your little momentary blip of paying attention to what you're doing is is something things you can start to notice about intention and of course it's highly related to mindfulness and effort the practice of intention because you can't really notice it without some degree of mindfulness and it's a great way to deepen mindfulness to really sit to really understand your intentions is a great way to really start to understand more deeply what mindfulness can mean because you're you need to have this very receptive let me just feel into this and the the understanding that mindfulness might be translated as heartfulness or bodyfulness it's the whole integrated sense of ourselves and what what's going on with us right now that would let us somehow give the space for more intuitive understanding of what is our intention why am I, where am i really coming from here so we're cultivating that habit of asking ourselves as often as we can think of it what am i aiming at here what am i where am i coming from am i coming from a sense of tension and conflict am i coming from a sense of open-hearted goodwill so what what intentionality are you bringing or are you just acting on a stream of habit and you have no idea you know what there's not any intentionality involved in what you're doing you're just simply bouncing along doing what you always do or reacting to the next thing that happens and so beginning to tune into that and we need to learn not to be afraid to see a few layers of not very virtuous <laughs> old habits of self-protection and self-soothing are very much intertwined with our um, intentions so we'll begin to see this i love um ajahn jeff this teacher whose books are in the corner over there he talks about the committee in the mind and you really get to know the committee members of your mind when you start looking at intention you know different intentions come every situation is often fraught with multiple intentions so what we're doing is we're really learning to acknowledge the input from some of the less wise committee members and give a little more space to the wise ones and develop the capacity to integrate all this and and develop more of a overview of what's going on. I also appreciate noticing the sort of the very easeful and the protective effect of good intentions. What we cannot control directly is the outcome in in events and in other people's opinion of what we do. We do what we do and people do what they do and out of that whole thing comes some chain of events and other people form opinions about what happened and all you really have that's your own root of your own karma is the intention that you had putting into it. I like a story I heard once about the Dalai Lama that he was after he did a lot of charity work in Hollywood on the behalf of the Tibetan people he was criticized for hobnobbing with actors and that set all the time and he sat very quietly and thought about it for a minute and he just said my intention was good 
And it was just very moving that this was what he turned to, to just look and examine what was his intention. And it just has this protective factor of people are going to think what they think, but, you know, you knew why you were doing that. So it's really beautiful to be in tune with your good intentions. So gradually, there's this intention that grows overall to be more mindful and more aware and check in with these path factors. It's like your first move when you begin, when you find yourself wondering what to do or trying to figure out what's happening here. You check your intention and that intention, the intention to check your intention becomes a, a habit that's much more grounding and much more fruitful than just always, now how is it that I'm going to get what I want out of this or what did I do wrong or what are they doing wrong? Somehow you turn into the attention. And this is the intention to pause and look and listen and feel more deeply. And then, since that's quite difficult on the fly, it turns into the intention to deepen our meditation practice and spend a little more time deepening our ability to tune into ourselves. So, the first of the three wise intentions that the Buddha calls out is, I've been calling it letting go, and Bhante Gunaratana, in the bigger of our two textbooks, calls it letting go. The other translation that's more standard is renunciation which is a word that is kind of hard for some of us to warm up to, maybe. <laughs> so, but it is, there are lots of other translations you could think of. It's really this fundamental non-grasping, non-clinging relinquishment, relaxing the grip that we think we have to have on things all the time. And I, I think it's important when you hear the word renunciation, You know, we are talking about the second noble truth here, that the cause of suffering is craving. And so we are talking about looking at the opposite of the intention of craving, which is the intention to not crave. (laughs) But please don't take this teaching as an instruction that you should immediately give up or try to give up everything that you find enjoyable. It's It's not about that. Um, you could really only try that out of a kind of blind fear and aversion that is really not consistent with the other two of the primary intentions. So we'll take it as an intention of the study to, to extend the study of our views and deepen our mindfulness, our wisdom, and compassion. We're really taking seriously these questions of how are we spending our time and what are we practicing relying on. So... It's often talked about in conjunction with sensory pleasures. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff in people's lives with addictions of major difficulties and just simply always turning to some kind of distraction, always turning to the cookie when you're not feeling just right, that is not onward leading because we're continuing to cover over what's really going on with this reach for distraction and reach for something that's temporarily pleasant. So this intention is very much about starting to look at that and starting to look at how we're using these things. It's definitely not a matter of being good as some kind of penance or obedience. There's a wonderful story about the Buddha when he was trying to find his way. You probably know this story, but he spent a long time doing extreme ascetic practices in which he got so skinny that his, I don't know, his spine was 
visible from the front or something like that. Anyway, he was very, uh, you know, uh, eating disorder <laughs> inclined at the time, trying to see if that would work, you know, to not do anything. And then there's a famous story that a woman came, he was just about to fall over and die, and a woman came and offered him a bowl of rice, and, and he ate the bowl of rice, and he realized, no, no, you need the strength to function as a, as a healthy human being in order to do these practices. And he had this insight at that point that it's neither is one meaning of the middle way, it's not the only meaning, but that it's not about mortifying and punishing yourself for your bodily existence. And it's also not about totally making your whole life about indulging in sense pleasures because then you miss this middle way path, which is to really understand, see through the illusory nature of what you're chasing and find the real path through inner resources of happiness and peace. I want to read you this one paragraph from the Bhikkhu Bodhi book, which you will read if you're reading that, but it's such a concise statement of this. He says, The Buddha does not offer as a solution the method of repression, the attempt to drive desire away with a mind full of fear and loathing. This approach does not resolve the problem, but only pushes it below the surface where it continues to thrive. The tool the Buddha holds out to free the mind from desire is understanding. Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished, but of changing our perspective on them so that they no longer bind us. When we understand the nature of desire, when we investigate it closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself without need for struggle. There's another little bit. I watched a film recently on Yogananda, who's a Hindu, Western, a Hindu teacher who came to the West a while ago. There was a bit in there where someone asked him, do I have to give up? And he listed all of his favorite things. And Yogananda said, no, you don't have to give them up. But if you continue to do the practice sincerely, I can't guarantee you'll still want to do them. So that's kind of how this has unfolded for me. It's just, you know, things I'm tired of, things that I realize are more trouble than they're worth, are actually aggravating. And the more you begin to see that, the more they let go by themselves. So we're really looking at when sense pleasures get entangled with being, to, with being used to serve ends that they can't really meet. Lasting satisfaction and avoidance of the pains of life. That's the dynamic of craving. That's where the craving comes into it. Because you eat a cookie, and if you watch carefully, there's one second of sweetness, maybe a crunch. And that's what the whole thing was about. And that has not solved your life problem. So what is there to do next besides have another one? You know, let me try that again. (laughs) Let me try that again. And the less mindful you are, the more you eat the whole bag, somehow chasing that idea that it's going to do something for you. And... uh, you keep doing it until you overdose or you get sick or you wind up serially abusing other people because that's what you think is somehow going to do it for you. You're just living enslaved to this cycle of chasing an ephemeral thing that isn't going to satisfy you. And also the mind is one of the senses in Buddhism. The six senses includes the mind. So chasing after every little moment when someone praised you or you know, going over and over the greatest hits of the times when you, you know, got some little thing that you needed from somebody, that's another form of clinging and grasping. 
clinging and grasping in relationships and wanting the people to be just the way you want them to be instead of the way they are and so forth. So all that goes into the ability to cling and grasp. And also the tendencies to perfectionism and excessive control that might kick in if you start deciding you need to give up everything you like and become you know, a total ascetic in order to get somewhere on this path. That's another form of clinging and grasping to unrealistic ideas of perfectionism. So this wise intention of letting go, releasing the grip, it's something that we practice as often as we can. Just this gesture of literally letting go. There's little fists all over the mind and body, you know, holding on to something and just let it go instead of hanging on more tightly. So as we turn to face what's going on in some of these situations, it's usually that there's something uncomfortable and we think, oh, I'm going to distract the mind by getting a little piece of pleasant that will temporarily distract the mind from that. But when we really look at the discomfort, we haven't really located it yet. We're sort of afraid of it. And so we run into a lot of resistance and anxiety. And it's also very easy to get caught up in false dualities, this authority versus rebel thing that a lot of people have going, where as soon as you, as soon as it comes to your mind that, gee, maybe I should look at this rather than, I keep using cookie as an example, it stands for anything, you know, in, instead or email or something, instead of doing what that is, right away the mind may cast it in terms of, oh, they think I shouldn't do this, you know, I shouldn't look at this, but I want to. And you just kind of bounce back and forth between projecting the authority on somebody else like us or the Buddha or somebody and said we shouldn't do this and I want to. So if you, notice if you're getting caught in that dynamic because a lot of this is really about owning your own wisdom. You know, you're the one who sees both sides of this. You, you can see what's wise about it and what's unwise about it and so you're really strengthening that ability to be the perspective the perspective of the observer who can see both sides of it and sort of you're wanting to introduce the parts of yourself that want the thing and then suffer later because it really wasn't the answer you want to kind of bring those two experiences together and somehow really begin to make sense of this um So we can look at what's going on, if we're just zooming in a little bit, around one of these places where maybe you compulsively whip out your phone or or something like that. You can look before, during, and after and try to understand what's going on. So if you're aware that, you know, there's time to look beforehand, you can see if you can feel into really the deeper needs that are going on. So try to acknowledge what am I really what do I what do I really want here? I know I don't actually need to check email right now. So is there some restlessness or some sense of disconnect or something like that that's going on? There's often just this kind of craving for oblivion, you know, because we torture ourselves so much in our minds in various ways that we just want to do something that's totally absorbing and and takes us out of that dynamic for a moment. I spend a lot of time watching movies and things for just to check out, you know. So once you really understand and acknowledge to yourself what's the deeper motive there, then you can look for healthier ways to do that. So for example, when I caught when I realize that I'm really looking for relief from my own mind, 
What it is about the mind that's so irritating is this very restless grasping, constantly trying to grab something that's going to do it for you. And at the same time, then you're disconnecting with what's really happening because your mind is split between what might be great and what's actually happening right now. And it's so much the heart of this practice to realize that the solution is to really connect with exactly what's happening right now, moment to moment, like we practice doing in sitting meditation. So see if you can just sit down on the couch or whatever for a moment and really feel into your body where is that craving happening in the body, where is that restlessness manifesting, where, what does that move feel like, and without judging it or think, don't, don't get into deciding whether you're going to do it or not, having full permission to do it or not, but then see what you can learn about where is the discomfort that you're trying to escape and what is it like if you just stay with it, with this feeling of compassion and so forth. Because then you're really back in this kind of intimacy and kindness to your own experience. That's really what you want. So learning to have this experience by connecting more deeply instead of disconnecting. So if you decide that it, it, then it's suddenly overwhelming and you're going to watch the movie or read the, eat something or check the phone or something, see if you can um, stay with it during doing it. I've learned so much by giving myself permission, okay, I'm going to watch a stupid movie, but I'm going to see why. <laughs> What's the deal? You know, what, do I like being emotionally manipulated in this way? Is this actually helping what I wanted to do? You know, or, and, and what feelings is this stirring up? And so, you know, just stay with it a lot. It's, just be an explorer of what's really going on. You can slow down. You can see for yourself what I'm talking about, the very fleeting nature of a food hit. You know, it's only a second there that you actually... There's a tiniest second of pleasure before you want the next one because it really wasn't very satisfying. And you see that, then at least you understand it intellectually. And then it's a, quite a long haul to really work with finding something that works better. But it can be done. Um, and then afterwards you can notice the long-term contradictory results. Dullness and discomfort if you eat too much. Whatever the movie stirred up in the way of you know violence or sex or whatever that really isn't particularly helpful for calming down and going to sleep or whatever you thought it was going to do for you um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying don't watch any movies there you know just know what you're doing and why so um, then you can engage in some experimenting like you can try outlasting a want it's very powerful to realize that it will go away by itself you know you just you can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do it in half an hour or something, and that might take a little pressure off, and then you're distracted. And then, you know, if you do remember, though, that's an interesting moment, because there's the point where it could all fire up again, but it's a great opportunity for strengthening your mindfulness. One of my teachers talked about coming to the lunch line or seeing a piece of food and really being clear that the experience of seeing is happening. And you can do that with an internal image of a piece of food. There's a moment of difference between seeing that image and going all into the fantasy of what it's like to have it, falling into that hole, uh, no authority is going to keep me away from that cookie kind of thing. There's a moment in which you can just see it very dispassionately, like 
you know, a picture of a round brown thing that has no appeal. And seeing if you can stay at that level is very interesting in strengthening mindfulness. And I must say that the real solution that the Buddha offers for this is the deepening access to peace, states of peace and joy and happiness that we get through our meditation. Um, you really, you don't get a whole lot of help with this until you really begin to understand, until you really have a good substitute. And that's really what the Buddha discovered when he gave up the ascetic practices. It's a, there's a completely wholesome and harmless and entirely good form of deep satisfaction that comes, that you can eventually develop in your meditation practice. And I, I can usually only experience those states when I'm on a, a retreat or a long retreat, but it's been so valuable to me to know, remember times on retreat, I'm a food, you know, user. <laughs> I keep using those examples, but times on retreat when I have been feeling so great sitting there that I have sat through lunch and not regretted it. And if you know me, that's, woo, really? (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's true that it's deeply gratifying what you really want to have gratified. And then you know that it has nothing to do with these external objects. And you would just rather stay in the zone that you got yourself into it, there's just no pull there's no attraction to even having a cup of tea I'm aware of how, what a hassle it is to kind of keep balancing the cup of tea you know I'm, I'm prone to carrying around a thing of tea and I'm really realizing wow this is more trouble than it's worth you know it's interfering with my ability to settle more to think I have to carry my bottle around with me and so you just begin to learn these things in comparison to what it really feels like to settle down probably going on and on here so I just want to share uh, one more consideration that it's very helpful to consider what are you letting go into So you don't think of it as entirely a renunciation. You're not focusing so much on what you're getting rid of or not getting, but you're focusing on the benefit. What are you getting from this? Confidence and awareness. The joy of investigating your own experience. This sense of intimate contact with your own unfolding life. Compassion for the parts of yourself that really need soothing by actually feeling into and releasing the little holdings in the body that are prompting most of these patterns to begin with. Here are some words that you might play with that might encourage you. Simplicity. Contentment. Gratitude. Appreciation. Generosity. Relief. Release. You know, so think of some words to you that really call to mind what you're letting go into when you let go of these habits. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, to move from desire to renunciation is not, as might be imagined, to move from happiness to grief, from abundance to destitution. It is to pass from gross entangling pleasures to an exalted happiness and peace, from a condition of servitude to one of self-mastery. Desire ultimately breeds fear and sorrow, but renunciation gives fearlessness and joy. 
And finally I came across this little quote from a, a man who is a canoe builder in Maine. And he says, Each one of these canoes springs out of me, my hands, more importantly, my mind, my absence of distracting thoughts. I don't work with a radio on. It's me and the cedar. I don't feel like I've given up anything, really. What other people call pleasure to me is a delusion. The only things I gave up were all those things that kept me from living in beauty. So, well, I'm a little late, aren't I? Okay. Oops. Nevertheless, let's get into groups of four. <laughs> we'll talk fast. No, we won't. We'll just do it. Do you want me to wait until after you post the question? Yes. going to do this one by uh, individual turns at speaking, not going round and round, but each person gets about, I think we're going to have to shorten this a little, I'm sorry, about two minutes to say something about this. So we will ring a bell every two minutes. Okay? So just let me, I'll read the question and then we'll take a few few seconds to think about the question. And once again, no crosstalk, no giving advice, just listen to the person who's speaking, and then the next person speaks, okay? So, it's a kind of a two-part question. Think of some habit that you would like to let go of. And what might you let go into? What would be inspiring for you to think of letting go into as you work with some of these suggestions for weakening the hold of this habit on you. Would you like to share anything that came out of that? I'm really interested in this question of what inspires you to let go into. What, if anything came up that was a new idea to you around that? I was surprised that I felt like I would let go into trust. Hmm. Just trust. Uh, it wasn't like a trust that I won't eat more cookies or trust. 
it, it just feels like trust. And, and, and then I recognized there was a, felt like I would relax into a holding. Mm. The trust is a holding. Mm. And um, I can see I could spend more time. Yeah. Mm. That was, that was yeah. interesting for me. Beautiful. Thank you. It, it seems like relaxing is really important because it seems like, um, I mean, for, for many of us, um, just being really busy and sort of almost being like on a treadmill, treadmill of um, just doing, doing, doing. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, I guess, yeah, and it doesn't feel good, so it just seems like relaxing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. shared uh, was letting go of the need to eat something sweet after a savory meal <laughs> and I let go into that which I was craving which is sweetness mm -hmm. so rather than craving sweetness as something you put on the tongue it's possible to become sweetness mm -hmm. and to cultivate sweetness mm -hmm. perhaps uh, by just closing your eyes and recognizing that the body is asking you to eat something sweet, but instead just planting the seed of intention of I am sweet, hmm. or I am sweetness. Hmm. So becoming that which you're clinging to. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll be the crunch. <laughs> <laughs> I shared something that Chris, we were in our mentor group earlier before coming here, um, that the habit that I had and I didn't know what to do about was having um, kind of an unpleasant interaction with an, another person. Um, in my case, it was in a, a, over a parking space and, <laughs> and having the contraction and the need to kind of to answer back in the, in the situation. I was left with not knowing, like, my only choice felt like it was to kind of ignore or just be like, fine, whatever, and that didn't quite feel right to me, and then Chris put it so beautifully, she said, um, in that moment, just, and this is very inspiring, that word really works, is to summon uh, a strong presence in the moment and bring your awareness, and she said, um, look them in the eye and be there with your presence and goodwill and to be curious and aware. And that's just, I don't that's very wonderful to break a habit and then it's uh, something to, um, to how, how are you saying, um, to let go into. It's just, I'm excited to try. <laughs> Inspired to try.
I have a, a habit of needing a connection with my daughter, which probably sounds very strange because it's obviously more than just a habit. It's a biological need, but it's not happening. So I have to let go into, I just realized this, total acceptance that I have everything. I'm whole. I have everything I need. one and um, I have to say it's um, getting pulled into to, um, reading the news too much and getting pulled into the stories and um, but what I realized it, when I thought about what I want to um, let go into is doing something that is pleasant I mean it's like I, I have these tasks that I need to do and different things but that I could do a number of different things with that time, that I could read what is beneficial, um, what is useful, and, um, and then allow myself to um, enjoy something else. So that was, um, that was a surprise. Well, thank you. This is great. I'm so happy to hear all that. So let's take a kind of a slightly less than 10 minutes break, if you can, and we'll ring a bell and come back.